Coming up, we are short a couple of games. We'll talk about that in the second segment. Tissue women's basketball will not play Western Carolina for two on Friday, Sunday. Uh, TBD, right? To be determined on the makeup dates. We will have a men's game Saturday at uh, Citadel. Monday on the road for men's basketball at Wofford, then at Mercer, then uh, home again to Chattanooga. A bunch of other things going on. So we'll talk about that. Failed downs. Failed out. Our favorite, uh, or at least mine. And then bold predictions, which I've yet to look at. So I'm going to uh, come up with those during the whole one-hour uh, show here to figure out what the heck's going to be my bold prediction. I can't wait to expand. I have my Super Bowl one. I can't. Well, we got two Super Bowl items and failed downs. We also have the third fail, which is an extrapolation of a fail that was brought to light by one Kevin Brown on Twitter. I think Wednesday night or whenever the that got that got legs. If it's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I don't want to give it away completely, but people probably already know what we're talking about. But a certain poll that we used to break down heavily on this show that we have now viciously, viciously turned on for obvious reasons. Uh, that's going to be a lengthy conversation, I do think. There's a lot of meat to the yep. show today. All right. All right. So we'll do all that and more coming up on Santa's and Sidekick. But we'll start Boom. with uh, Saturday. There will be a basketball game. Four o'clock will be the Tip Time 3.30 pregame show. Have the call on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Mike Gallagher have the call on ESPN Plus with Bruce Tramberger. Of course, we like Mike the turn down, listen to our broadcast, so you can hear the full homer call uh, of the game. And then if you want to go back and rewatch the game later, then you can enjoy Mike. That's uh, sort of how we want to do that, right? Enjoy maybe a strong lead. That's fair. Uh, tolerate Mike. Is that better? Is that better? Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, Citadel because they're coming in, right? They were hot, then they were cold, and boy, did they get hot 52% from beyond the arc against Wofford. As Katy Perry says, you're hot and you're cold, you're yes, then no, you're in, you're out, you're up, and you're down. And Citadel right now is up, they are hot. They are a team that has an unbelievable amount of talent. And this may be, I'm going to talk with Duggar Bauckham today at 1 o'clock. So the show will come out probably about an hour before. But I have a feeling he's going to say that this is his most talented and dangerous team since he has been at the Citadel. And this is year number six, same amount of time as Jason Shea has been at ETSU. Of course, now Coach Shea in his first year as a head coach, five years as an assistant, they've come across each other many times. Nine of the ten ETSU has won, but Aiden Brown, you know, 37 and 13 and 31 and 21. Caden Rice, the nation's leader in three-point makes per game, almost five. Fun fact, Matt Frierson, who you remember well, set the school record back-to-back years in threes made for Citadel. And... It was 114, and I believe 119. It's either 100. I think it's 114 now. It's like 104, then 114. If somehow Caden Rice continues on the absurd pace that he is on, he is going to break the school record in an abbreviated year in the regular season. He's not even going to need the postseason. The Southern Conference Tournament should the Citadel go on and win a game in the tournament, move on to the semifinals, whatever the tournament may look like this year. He wouldn't even need the postseason, and he would break 114. He's on pace for 119 threes. And you got Tyler Moff, who had, I thought, a great day against Wofford, which keyed a big upset in the league and put ETSU at number one. And that's not to forget about Fletcher Aby, 
who we called a B for a long time because it sounded like Muggy. It's AB. I think that's a change this year. The sophomore, who was all freshman team last year, been cold lately, but had a streak of like eight of nine in double figures to start the year. This is a dangerous squad. They are not good on the road. As you said, when they're cold, it's rough. But when you hit 14 threes, as they do from time to time, game to game, it could be a long day for the opponent. It could be a race to nine year hunt. So basically, there's two games they have not, as a team, hit 10 or more threes. They lead the nation to mention 13.2 threes made per game. They've hit 172 threes on the season collectively. Also, Caden Rice has hit four or more threes in all but two games this year. And then the Hayden Brown, the ridiculous game that we've talked about over and over again, he had a 31-21 and 21 performance. He also threw 37 on the board at Chattanooga. He's got seven double-doubles this year alone. Ninth in the nation. I mean, just incredible. And then the sort of the under the radar is the transfer up, Tyler Moth. You know, he started. Field University, your favorite Division two. Well, school. but, you know, he started at Buffalo. Yep. I don't know, and, yep. and then he goes to a community college, Jamestown Community College. Then he goes to Mansfield. Fourth school now. Then he wears the number 13, which I don't know if you know is the traditional graduate transfer number for Citadel. That's oh, that's wow. a thing. That's so a I um, got a chance to, as I was looking up and doing stuff, then it was kind of written in there, the grad transfer number. And then I went back through a couple rosters, and sure enough, it seems like they reserve. I don't know if that's on purpose or not or whatever. But anyways, the number 13 somehow has uh, been given to the last few grad transfers. So they got a nice little tradition there. But his addition and what he's been able to do in the assist and sort of run the offense, and then they get, you know, some decent role play. Stephen Clark can give him some stuff. Rudy Fitzgibbons had some big games. There's some guys that can score. It's interesting because Clark and the Eric inside. Eric Webster Jr., I'm sorry. He seems like he's forgotten he scored again. The inside presence that Clark has brought to the team, especially this year, they're a more stout interior team. Um, often they're not going to be you know, near the top of the league or the nation in rebounding or block shots. It's a perimeter team, right? But they're doing a lot of things this year that they have not done in years past. And Clark's got 25 blocks, which is top 50 in the country. You don't think of them as, you know, that out-muscle you team. But they've got a lot of different dimensions this year that they haven't previously had. They defend the three-point line a lot more. They're not just taking a lot of threes as they have in years past. A lot of times that percentage, I believe last year they were 202nd in the nation in three-point percentage. You take that many threes, that's such a big part of your offense. If you're 202nd in the nation, you're not going to get very far. And of course, that 0-18 year, the first winless Southern Conference year for any team across the league in 60 years. So you saw what it got them. Hayden Brown was injured a lot of the year. They have him back, of course, and he is such a special talent with Rice, with A.B., with Moth. Um, but it's interesting to see what they're doing this year and how they fortified their entire presence because previously it seemed gimmicky, right? But this team seems equipped to pull an upset like they did against Wofford. I'm curious what you think because Messiah Jones did come back for Wofford in that game against the Citadel, and he was good. Five of seven from the field, got to double figures, but eight of 28 from the floor were Trey Hollowell and Storm Murphy. Could just be a one-off. But I'm curious what you think about Messiah Jones' presence for that Wofford team. Does it make that win that much more impressive for the Citadel? Or is the thought in the back of your mind that because he was fitting back in in his first game back for the Terriers that the chemistry just wasn't there and it takes something away from that victory? I, I don't. I, to me, watching, and I paid a little bit of attention Wednesday live, 
um, to the game. Went back Thursday morning and I watched more of the second half, and I don't I don't think it mattered. I think the way they shot the three and the style that they play it didn't matter. I wouldn't say that about every team, but just the way Citadel wants to play, you know, I, I just I. To me, it was an impressive win because Citadel was really on the ropes, right? I mean, they got going, then they lost four straight conference games in a row. You know, you take a look at or five straight conference, whatever, four or five straight conference games in a row. Then all of a sudden, Wofford's playing about as good as basketball as anybody. They walked in there with a lot of confidence, playing good, and they're tough-nosed. And honestly, this Wofford team might be one of the better ones for the simple reason of everyone knowing their role and how fundamentally sound they are and they still couldn't figure out how to slow down the Citadel. So I, I'm more impressed with Citadel and will not put, uh, since you asked me the direct question, will not put this really on kind of Wofford, not really knowing. I think this was just an outstanding shooting performance, 14 of, what, 27 from three for the Bulldogs. And as we talked about, defending the three-point line, Wofford was just five of 29. So this is not a game that previously the Citadel, I think, would have won in years past at least, but you look at holding a team to, what, 16%? from beyond the arc, 17% from beyond the arc when they're taking 29 threes and 69 points they gave up against Wofford, a season low, 34% from the floor also. So 17% from three, 34% from the floor, 69 points, the least given up by the Citadel in a game this season. The defensive side, obviously so important for them because if they can even get a shred of the defense showing up, they're going to be in great shape because they can fill it up. They were averaging going into the Wofford game. That's what we were clicking a mouse on. They were averaging giving up 92.2 points per game. <laughs> that one game dropped them four or five points total to a 88 shred points. Of I mean, get, get a shred I mean, of 90, They were giving up 92. And if there's anything you have to look at as Wofford offensively, you had 69 points. That's almost impossible. Bad. Almost impossible to do. Because, but just the style that Citadel was playing. Now, they're averaging, and it is impressive to me to see what VMI and Citadel are doing offensively this year. They're both averaging 83 points per game. I mean, and they're one and four in the nation in May 3s. Right? League, league play, play it's league play. Because yeah. Citadel's averaging like 89 points per right. game. Right, it, 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 it is higher. More, But if you, again, forget a little apples to apples and take sure. out some 91s yeah. or teams that played four power fives like or whatever. Citadel, yeah, but yeah. let's just go. But in at least the Southern Conference play, which now, again, some teams have played between six and eight games, so I think the sample size is there. VMI in eight games is averaging 83 points. In six Citadel games, they are averaging 83 points per game. I mean, to see what they're doing, to hit 13 threes, now that's in all games, but still averaging 13.2 threes for the Citadel and 11.4 for VMI, they're certainly been able to score the basketball. Now, in the same flip token, they're just trying to outscore you because defensively, VMI is averaging giving up 82. Citadel's averaging giving up 88. The problem is if you're one of those teams and you have a Wofford day, and let's be honest, ETSU has been great scoring as of late, but ETSU has shown they can have a Wofford day shooting the basketball. If they have one of those days, it is very easy to see how Citadel could not just beat ETSU, but they could beat anybody on a, a, a given day in the Southern Conference. If, if they shoot 50% from three with the number of threes they take, and I'm curious to ask Jason Shea this in the pregame because in the past – what they've done is says, you know what, shoot all the threes you want. You're not getting the two, which is an interesting concept. But that's what Steve Forbes said. They turned the corner on beating Citadels when they said, we're just not going to give up anything inside. You're going to have to hit 25, 30 threes because you're going to have zero field goals inside the arch. 
That's not normally how you would teach it, but Steve Forbes didn't lose the Citadel once he made that change in philosophy. And only lost to him once anyway. But the interesting thing about that game against Wofford for me, and this is the game I'm focusing on simply because it's their biggest win of the year. There's no question. They had beaten absolutely nobody in the non-conference. I think it was, what, Presbyterian, Longwood, and there was one other team uh, that I'm surprised. You were such a fan. Good. I'm surprised you don't know the schedule by heart. You were, you were was all I a big fan? You were all, I was all in on VMI. You were all in on the Citadel. Yeah. I, I think we adopted military schools. You've got we Kevin Brown in on VMI, too. You've been hanging around with Kevin Brown too much. He thinks that VMI is going to be a top-four team. I listened to another uh, uh, podcast for a particular reason last night because it was late at night and I wanted to. Want to find something to put you to sleep, sure. Uh, right. You know, there was a. a you you should have just listened to our, 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 our one Western fan had uh, uh, our one Greensboro fan on. And oh, they, really? And they, were, they were mad love, mad love with Dan Earl. So this is going oh, around. This is contagious God. around the league. It's not just me and Kevin Brown. Around the league, people are getting a mad love with the coach of the year, Dan Earl. And, and look. Right now, he probably is the coach of the year, fair, to be fair. Although, Jason Chastik has a claim to stake to that as well because, you know, you lose if, he only, your if he only loses one game this year <laughs> with what he had, yes. It would be hard. And being homers, if nothing else, I would argue tooth and nail. I would, too. I would, too. Dan Earl certainly has a great case for strong runner-up, 1A, whatever you want to call it. And he's a great dude, and he's doing a great job in a tough place to win. So, I'm not discrediting anything he's doing. But I think it's a little bit early to say, considering that the team is like 9-72 and 72 on the road in his five and a half years at VMI, I think it's a little early to say that they're going to stick around and be a top-four team. I can see him at six. I have him right now at six. Anyway, point being, the scary thing for me with the Citadel is this really should not have been that close. They've shot the ball well at the line all year, 50%. They were 9-18. They hit three or four more of those. This is a double-digit game and one that – you look at the final score, and the Bulldogs are kind of running away with. Um, I think the game's going to come down to this. The Bulldogs need three of their four big scores to show up. Now, you know you're probably going to be able to count on Hayden Brown and Caden Rice. They've just been too good. They're both averaging right around 20 points per game. So then it comes down to Moff or A.B. Who is going to be that third scorer? A.B. is just five of his last 20. Moff was two of his last 11 before that 18-point game, a season high, against Wofford. I also almost wonder if having a good day, being that third scorer, is even enough. Remember the Chattanooga game, that was the one where Hayden Brown had 37-13, and 13, a career day, the best day that we have seen in the Southern Conference this year. So you're talking about a league-best day to win that game. For the Wofford contest... Moff is, you know, he had some hard games at, you know, Division II Mansfield. He was a good player, a good Division II player, but jumping up to this level, 18 points, I think it was 6 to 10 from the floor, that is a, I would call it, a career day. So you've got two career days, two conference victories, and really seven other wins where all you had to do, if you are of any substance at all, was show up to the gym. And they did show up in those games. They were still tight contests, specifically their only road win this year against Longwood. Otherwise, uh, they have none. They've only played three road games, fair enough. But this, their fourth, they've only got one win. And Longwood's 5-13 and 13 this year. They only won by two. Remember, that was a really tight finish. So I still am skeptical with the Citadel on the road, with VMI on the road. Um, I think that, again, if you get a shred of defense, you're going to have a close game um, just because of the way that they can put the ball in the basket and the way that they can shoot it. Uh, I think you might as well just concede eight to ten threes, but if you start to get up to that 13, 14, or 15 range, that's when 
a team can really get into trouble. Um, I personally don't see this as a massive challenge from the Citadel. I think the Bucks are rolling. I know they had the midweek uh, postponement. The up and down, the inconsistency of the schedule really does make it difficult, but it seems like with every passing day, regardless of if ETSU is playing or not, the team is getting closer and better and more complete. Uh, I think this is going to be a perhaps double-digit win from the Buccaneers, but this contest is not without landmines. You have to make sure that you are defending the three-point line as best you can. You have to make sure that Hayden Brown is getting a ton of attention, and then you have to close out on those great shooters, Rice, A.B., um, and make sure that Tyler Moff, who has been well improved from the line this year as well, he was like 35% for his career at Division II, shooting like 48% from outside at the Citadel. Just make sure that he doesn't have another one of his career days. Coming off one, I wouldn't think that that's coming. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, too, because the one thing that Citadel, it is interesting because they shoot a lot of threes, but I want to point this out, and again, I don't have the conference only. No, oh, yeah, I do have it right there in front of me. They do a great job of getting the free throw line. And I think that's odd because of all the threes they shoot. I think they get people on their heels, and so you're able to drive by. But that was the one thing I thought I was going to talk about when I was doing research for this game yesterday was the fact I thought, you know what, ETSU could probably pound the ball inside, get in foul trouble, shoot more free throws, you know, probably Citadel's minus, you know, five or six attempts per game at this point. But they're plus 29 attempts in Southern Conference play at the free throw line plus 40-something in overall games. But, again, they placed some on D1. So, again, you go to the apples and apples. I, I was impressed with that, that the Citadel is not necessarily a one-trick pony shooting threes. As they have been in the past. They so are getting to the – and they go to the free throw line. I, I think, you know, and so when them going to the free throw line, and granted they're shooting 71%, which you would say, well, it's near the bottom of the league. Well, you know, who's below them is ETSU. They're the worst free throw shooting team in the league. So you feel good about – if both teams went to the line 20 times, and Citadel's going to have a, a few extra points advantage, but looking at the number of attempts they're getting at the free throw line in league play can, compared to ETSU, we'll have to see how ETSU's defense does. It's always odd. Will Silas Adeke, do you have to trade him out for smaller lineups? Will we have the awkward lineup where Vonnie Patterson is your five-man or Ty Brewer is your five-man with a bunch of guards running around? At some point, it probably will, you know. That's just that's just the way it is because then it's like okay, do we think that Stephen Clark at six eight, you know, who's not very thick, is he going to be able, you know, a deck is in there? Well, they take him out. And Hayden Brown is now your five man. Well, now do you put a four man on him? Do you dare put a five on him and try to chase? Right? I think you have to put a four man on Hayden Brown. I, I just don't see, you know, and I know a did great on Gurley, but they're di- they're way different players and. I think Adeke did a good job on Gurley. I think that's a great matchup. I'll be curious to see if Brown is the five-man and Adeke's in the game, if he will be matched up with him or not. I will be very curious to see if Adeke would be able to sort of hang with Hayden Brown. But getting to the free-throw line I thought would be such a huge event for ETSU, and now it's turned into one of my talking points for don't send Citadel to the free-throw line. And I didn't think that when I was doing my research that it would flip that way, and that's why we do this, right? That's why we sit here and dive into the numbers and do some things. Because sometimes numbers and perceptions can lie, and in this case, I think the pure number of threes lends you to think there's, they're not that aggressive. They're not going, but they absolutely are. You had to look deeper into the numbers this year because you could rely off what you've seen in years past. But when you see the best start for a school in 100 years, and I know that for 
the vast majority of those years, they just simply have not been good. And I know that they didn't play anybody in those first eight games. It turns out Chattanooga, who, again, was hot after the non-conference, they've been a bit of a fraud at least so far. So that win, I don't know if that holds a lot of water, that put them to 8-0. But regardless of the fact that they then lost four in a row, they come back and they beat Wofford. If they had lost to Wofford and you're saying, okay, well, you know, one in five, uh, this was a fun flash in the pan. Goodman gave him some love, but Sandos was right. You know, they just weren't going to be able to keep love this up you say that. the whole year. Um, then I think that maybe we could rely on some of that quote-unquote perception. But I still like to, when you have a start or run like that, regardless of who a team has played, you still got to go out and win the games. You can't tell me that the Citadel hasn't had – starts like this in terms of the opponents that they've played in the past. Weak non-conference schedules. You can't tell me over the years that they have not scheduled a week, but they probably dropped a game or two, and it's same old Citadel. But now that we're in the 2020-21 season, and they were able to get some momentum, and they were able to get some steam, and it's a new year, and they came together, and Hayden Brown is off the injury, and he's doing what he's doing, you did have to look a little bit deeper, and you do discover some things that we'll talk about a lot on each of our broadcasts tomorrow. Um, but I think the main ones are the ball's going in at a higher clip from outside. They're defending the three-point line. These are all things they haven't done in the past. They're rebounding the basketball with some of the best teams in the country. I think they're top 30 in rebounds per game. Um, and then they have that defensive interior presence. So it's good that we did uh, dive in a bit deeper because I'm not sure that we would really know what we were getting into. Otherwise, you mentioned Ty Brewer. I'm getting an inkling, and mine are often wrong, so don't um, put this as gospel and don't write it down in pen, but it feels like it's going to be a big tie brewer day tomorrow. I don't know why, but it just he's had some good games recently, no doubt, but he hasn't really had that blow-up game since Western Carolina, really his best game of the season. And I'd say that really it's been his only great game of the season. There was a slow start. He was shooting like 35%, which was so out of character for him after he finished fifth in the Southland last year in field goal percentage, but he's edged slowly back up, starting with that Western Carolina game, and now he's at 46%, just a couple of notches below where he was uh, last season for uh, Southeastern Louisiana. So I think that this is going to put him over the top. I think he's going to have a huge day as 20-plus one. That your bold prediction? It's right? not my bold prediction. No, oh, I yeah, different bold say, prediction. I don't know if you're giving that away. I, no, for no, no, no. That's a teaser. Okay. That's a teaser. All right. All right, uh, and, and don't forget, there is a new guy uh, in uniform. For do you think he'll play? I do not. Seems a little bit early. <laughs> it does seem a little bit early. I We're did. Happy to have him, I did. Uh, I did go watch practice yesterday just to go see uh, Sedadrian uh, Hall practice and see what he looks like. We and call I, him I, Day Day. Day Day. Day, Day yes, of course. He, you're tighter than I am, but yeah. he. Uh, I tell you what, I was I was very impressed with the size because sometimes you know you get a freshman in. And sometimes I think that not in height in basketball, yes, there's always an inch or two, but sometimes the weights, right? Sometimes the weights I think are way off, and you hear 190 or you whatever, and you yeah, get there. 6'5", 175, like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The 6'5", his Ruben recruiting, he's 6'5", and 200, and all of a sudden you show up and he's, you know, maybe 170 right. pounds, 175, exactly. and you're going, oh, he's got to put up. But he's, I, he had good size. I'll say this, they already had him. Working with, uh, as you would imagine, the third team, learning plays, doing whatever. Um, and so it was interesting just to see him kind of interact with the guys. And, and, you know, this is what this was for, being able to get him some time, not just to practice, learn the system. And even if he doesn't get into a game, he's going to be further down the line this year. So I don't know if we'll get in the game, but I, I can confirm he was on the floor. He was practicing. 
they are, you know, if he shows that he could have what would feel, if he could help us win just one game, it was worth it. So that's the theory. We'll see uh, how it goes. But it was interesting to see him on the floor. It'll take some time. You know what they say, Jay. Rome wasn't built in the day-day. <laughs> we might use that all the time. All right, this guy will be back uh, with more jokes in a just day-day. a second. I, know, I got it. it we'll step aside for a time. <laughs> to this time out. Santa's sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Powerboard has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge. too happy of a bumper for what we're about to talk about. I don't know why I play the happy bumper. It's, it's not happy. Well, you're happy. You're over here dancing. Happy. You're slapping the table. I'm not you're happy coming for up ETSU with jokes. Basketball. And you're Mr. Jokey McJokerton over I'm there. I'm sad, though, for ETSU women's basketball because this was going to be a weekend, I think, that they were really going to start to build some momentum towards that second half of the year. Western Carolina coming in a couple of times. And, oh, it's the dreaded call. You know, it, it's something we live in fear of now. Obviously, the basketball side, but you want everyone to be healthy, too. And thankfully, it does sound like everyone's ETSU women's basketball is healthy. There's only one positive case. Uh, the young woman that has the virus is in good spirits, doing well. Um, but, yeah, the dreaded call. It, it was sad to hear because it almost – the way things have gone to the women's side so far this year, you almost thought that everyone was going to make it through. I think there's only been one team up until this point that had contracted the virus during the season. Um, and at least uh, missed time. Maybe there were others around the holiday uh, period where, you know, they got it and they didn't have to miss any games. But certainly um, sad to hear for ETSU women's basketball. Now, as you mentioned, they are going to try and make up those games. But um, tough timing because you come off the UNCG win, best defensive performance of the year, and you're going to start to make some hay. I think there are a couple of wins coming this weekend. Would have been three and four going into the second half of the year and going into a Furman team that's really struggling. So uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I think especially if you look at sort of making the the change in the type of press they they were going into, and I would assume they would try to do the same thing that one two two or one two one one or whatever it was one two one one yeah one two one one and more aggressive with that turnovers up tempo little helter skelter, I think had gotten some extra umph and energy from the ladies, and I think that would be interesting to see how that would have played out on Friday, uh, what would have been tonight's game versus Western Carolina. And I think, you know, if you make any headway, able to pick up two at home before you go on the road, I think I was, I was very interested to see how they were going to build off that win. We really could have had the exact same breakdown here in the second segment as we did in the first segment, talking about the Wofford game and an upset being pulled on Wofford because Western Carolina beat Wofford. And Wofford was at the top of the league on the women's side. And they handed them their first loss. I think Wofford's now 4-1. and one. Um, Western just had one of those days, much like I think UNCG had one of those days against ETSU. Shot the ball much better than what they had been in the, their averages, shot over their averages, if you will. Things you just didn't see coming, you know, things that weren't on tape, um, things that you didn't know that the team could do because they hadn't done it all year. And um, I think that Western Carolina, I would like catching them off a game like that. I like catching teams that have done – so well off 
that game that they have just totally blacked out, gone out of their mind and um, put up more points in Western Carolina's case than they had uh, all season against the Division One team. In UNCG's case, just hit more shots, right? I think UNCG going into the ETSU game was shooting 22%, 23% from beyond the arc, and then went like 8 of 19 on that Friday night from three, and it was a low-scoring game, so every three matters, right? And it ended up being a three-point win for UNCG. I like catching teams off those games because maybe you get a bit lax, maybe you get a little bit overconfident, Maybe you start to try and do some things that you don't realize that you can't really do because you did it the one time in the game previous, and then you end up with what UNCG ended up with against ETSU that Sunday, which was just 48 points. So I liked that for ETSU against Western Carolina, who, by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Ask Kevin Brown this. Have you ever seen the non-conference midweek during conference play? One other time, believe it or not. ETSU had a senior day versus Tennessee Tech. Okay. Now, was that added just to have the ceremonial senior day? Because that was, what, 2010 uh, maybe, 2009? Right. I mean, it wasn't canceled for any other time. um, So it was on the schedule the entire year? It was on the schedule. It was on the schedule. Interesting. And uh, I want to say there was a game. I don't think – I'm trying to remember what the specifics were, but there was a game. It wasn't supposed to be the original senior day. And they had to move something from a Saturday. And so it ended up being the senior day, a midweek, which was odd. And so getting families there, so they had like the – weird. It was very odd timing when it went. And the one thing I really remember about it is that the Tennessee Tech – because not only was it senior day, it snowed that day. And the Tennessee Tech play-by-play guy actually slid off the road on the interstate <laughs> an hour from Cookville and called and asked if we could get – the radio call back to them somehow so i had to work with their radio station and for one game don hellman was hired as the voice of your golden eagles of tennessee tech just to get something going and then they were supposed to pay him 50 bucks and never did and i just took took take the l all right take the l so but it was uh but i mean they brought out coach to him pre-game (laughs) post-game so it was all but it was a rare senior day uh that's other than that i this this is one of those situations where I don't know because maybe maybe Coach Hill saw a win and they weren't able to play and so he wanted to try to get an extra win. I, I don't know. Well, South Carolina State, who they played Tuesday, hadn't played since the 10th of January, and they were going back into conference play this weekend. So my thought was maybe that was initiated by South Carolina State. And South Carolina sure. State, if you know South Carolina State sports, tend to struggle. I think they're 1-9 this year, only put I mean, did, 43 did, points against Do Washington. we know if they were scheduled in the regular season before that? I do not. See, I don't need it. See, my, my guess was probably both of those, is that it may have been a game that might have been scheduled, got canceled, and then, hey, we can get a tune-up game in. If you guys want to play, well, sure, we'll play, and then you play. And you get your fifth one of the year if you're Western Carolina. Sure. So it's not all bad, right? It's kind of a win-win. But I do like in terms of league play, because then you play down a bit to Western or to South Carolina State. You know, you ETSU is a better team than that. So, yeah, you get, you get a win, and again, feeling overconfident, feeling good about yourself, and then the Bucks come in, and, and they're able to knock you off twice, won 13 in a row against them. And I was chalking them up already as victories, as I often do, you know, get way ahead of myself and just start counting the Ws before they come in. Um, but, unfortunately, not going to have that chance. So, it does sound like that makeup games, I, I can't give away dates at this point, but they're, they're coming down the line. Um, and there's also going to be some changes announced with the games next weekend. Um, again, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more next week. But I uh, hope everyone stays healthy for ETSU women's basketball. There's no more positive cases, so we can get back on the court against the Furman Paladines next weekend. 
All right, that's our women's basketball preview. Fell downs, lot to go. Will you include the uh, A Sun expanding to football in your fell downs? Yes or no? <laughs> Just announced thirty minutes ago. Honorable mention. I like the recency. All right, we'll step aside for a timeout. Santa Saki goes back at air sports network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Fitting to open fail downs with, with, with this. Wolf. Okay. I love oh, Wes Miller. Oh, no. <laughs> Wes, I think, is great. Oh, listen to this. I love Wes Miller. Whose voice is that? You recognize that? Wes, I think, is great. Oh. I thought you were going to open up with the uh, ketchup on my brand new pants. It, <laughs> it took me 14 seconds to ruin today. I think that that is the real life version of these words. I love <laughs> Wes Miller. Wes, I think is great. See, Wes, I think is great. No, no, no. I love Wes Miller. All right, now that seemed in fact. But listen, to the second one, you cut me off here. Listen, Wes, to this I one. think is great. <laughs> you can hear. I'm, I'm saying this one's, this one's real. I love Wes Miller. I, I mean, didn't do anything. I mean, that. he's a good-looking dude. I don't know what you want. Oh wow! I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what You'd you want. You'd love to run I mean, stairs with him in the Coliseum I mean. before the game, wouldn't you? <laughs> you really would. <laughs> just, just put, just put on some. Uh, some running shorts and just go at it. Is that what you're saying? He'll, he'll wipe down the forehead after he's done. Hey, might as well hit the showers. Great work today, Wes. I okay. love Is that your? Is that, is that, that, that fell down one? First fail. Well, that was brief. We haven't even got the first fail. Yeah, there's not going to be better than that, so people right. can probably just skip okay. ahead. But we do first have some Super Bowl fail. talk. Uh, Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur gives Tom Brady the ball back with two minutes left, down by five points in a conference title game. Needless to say, the rest of the script wrote itself. That or the Packers playing cover one with eight seconds left in the first half, which is more unforgivable, which is more of a fail, Jay Sandoz? I think the not not letting Aaron Rodgers have the ball. I'm going to go with that. So here's why I have this argument all the time with people. When New England played Indianapolis, and everybody obviously knows that I'm a Patriot lover and all the Peyton Manning lovers around here, the Patriots went for it fourth and two in their own territory. And it was the most egregious decision everyone said of all time. But the point was, and they fell a half yard short, but the point was you don't give Peyton Manning the ball. And that was going to be the game. I felt like when I kicked the field goal, that was the game. Game Like, I feel like the people who say New England should not have gone for it can't turn around and say, well, you got to – I think it's the same scenario. And if Aaron Rodgers doesn't complete it, you still have the same three timeouts. You still have the same two-minute warning. And two. Right. And down so you have shot. So I believe the fell down is not going with your quarterback, um, your Hall of Fame quarterback, to have the ball in his hand. Can, can you tell me, though, why it seems like certain defensive coordinators, some that have been fired for terrible teams that should have finished 0-16, um, and then Matt LaFleur and his defensive staff – 
decide to try and get cute when a team is on like the 40 or 50 yard line with time winding down in a half and instead of just sitting in prevent sitting in a zone guard the sidelines don't let somebody get behind you you go one-on-one coverage with and say what you want about scotty miller um and again i think in the team i'm talking about previously in the regular season it was rugs that was behind the uh, New York Jets secondary in, in the old, uh, what was it, cover zero, I think, that Greg Williams ran before he was fired that ended up losing the Jets and kept their imperfect season alive. They would end up winning a couple of games. But Scotty Miller, say what you want, he's been Tom Brady's, it seems like to me, favorite deep target the entire year. He keeps consistently throwing to the smallest white guy on the field. And we know that he's had Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, a lot of people. No, Scotty Miller's a better athlete than those guys, so he's got the ability to go deep. He continues to show that that's the guy he wants to hit over the top. And you go one-on-one with him with eight seconds and no timeouts. I just don't get it. Why do you guys want to get cute? Play zone. Play prevent. It's worked. So here, and again, here's what I think. They This is what. This is sort of the Florida Hail Mary versus Tennessee conversation I've had. The play wasn't now in Tom's case, they had stuff short to the right and they had, you know, deep ball left. In Florida's case against Tennessee, it was a situation where they were trying to get enough yards to kick a game winning field goal. And so Tennessee is guarding against the out of bounds, the first down, so you can run up and spike it. Then the quarterback runs around and magically throws a Hail Mary. Like, that play wasn't designed for anybody to go deep. It just broke that way. This play was set up to go, I think, originally to the right to get enough for a field goal. Then you give the greatest quarterback of all time a situation where he looks over and goes, oh, heck, there's one guy in the middle. If I can just look to the right for about a split second, because that's all you need nowadays, right? And all I do, and I I thought it was interesting to watch Dan Orlovsky break that down of like here's the end zone camera of Tom's eyes looking this way and then they kind of spin the camera around where the safety is still kind of backpedaling you could see his head turn and then by the time Tom turns and throws he's got to swivel his hips run and and it's too late and obviously not real sure even if you're guarding the sidelines even if you're guarding whatever the cornerback is looking in and has no idea where his guy is and I enjoyed watching Ryan Clark break that down when a guy, you know a guy's beat when he starts doing the windmill to try to catch up and he's doing the flailing <laughs> arms and all that. That was probably one of the funniest segments I've seen, at least on TV. I love watching kind of plays break down, but I really think that play was designed to start with, with hey, we're going to go over here to the right because they were expecting zone all this. And all of a sudden when you see man-to-man and one high safety and the ball's on the right hash mark, can I look this way, throw that way, and it worked out beautifully. So – I, I don't know. It, it's one of those where it, it's always easier afterwards to go, well, why didn't you do this? But I think, the, again, the defense was set up to take away the short throw, the out-of-bounds, set up a field goal, and instead you end up giving up seven because not many people are looking to go that way. Speaking of the greatest quarterback of all time, second fail. I had a conversation with a couple of buddies. You don't know them. But they decided to go the route, both of them, of Tom Brady being a product of the defenses that he has had over the years and started rattling off stats and figures that would say, look, top defenses pretty much every year that he's won the Super Bowl. Look at his playoff stats. Look at his conference title stats. Look at his Super Bowl stats. All of these say that the guys on the other side of the ball are the reason that he has been so successful. And they would not even give me that he is the greatest quarterback of all time, which you know, okay, if you want to argue that there are others that are in the conversation, okay. But especially this year, when he is gone, in his first season, ridding himself of that horrible franchise that he used to be with, that he took to such success, it was not Bill Belichick. 
It was Tom Brady, Belichick sitting at home at 6-10, and 10, watching from his couch, or 7-9 or whatever it is, with Cam Newton as the playoffs go on without him because the greatest quarterback of all time went to a new team and went to a Super Bowl in the first year there. They wouldn't give me that he's the greatest quarterback of all time. In fact, they argued even against the fact that if it was somebody else in his shoes, they could have accomplished the exact same thing. They said, Tom Brady, yeah, but you could put a lot of guys in that situation and they would have that much success. How in the world do you argue that after this year? If you want to do that in the Patriots system, if he had retired in New England and you said, okay, well, look, you know, Belichick, Brady, package deal, look at the defenses, I would maybe have a .01% chance of giving you the time of day. Not agreeing with you, but giving you at least the time of day. But now... After he's gone somewhere else at 43 years old, 14 conference title games, and has as many Super Bowl appearances as Aaron Rodgers does now, NFC championships as Aaron Rodgers does now, I mean, how in the world do you do it on a completely new team? I am beside myself. And it was 10 times worse when I was actually having the conversation with him. The only stat I can give you is that New England was ranked 7th in all the defense categories, and Tampa Bay was 8th. Bang! The only other thing I can give you is there's only one quarterback that has played. Actually, he has played in more conference championship games. Fourteen. Than Joe Montana and Peyton Manning combined, who are two and three. Ugh. He's already the all-time postseason touchdown pass leader in Tampa Bay history. <laughs> I think at this point, if you are arguing, and I, I will say this, the, and I was going to give you this as a fail down. Max Kellerman actually tweeted out. Since the time I've had Tom Brady fall off the cliff, he has had a Hall of Fame career just from that point <laughs> forward. So even he, even he has had to say, I was wrong, I'm going to say it a different way. And props to him for doing so. And he finally said yes. And then he, then he actually went a step further and said this is Aaron Rodgers' choke job and Tom didn't deserve it. So he had, to, he had to do it some other way. Okay. But the same token is, you have just lost your mind because if it was that easy for all the number one defenses to win, there has to be a common factor. Yes, are there been? But I can also point to Super Bowl years where New England had like the twenty fifth defense, and there are times where teams have yes a top ten. The problem, the thing with New England is the scoring defense is generally pretty good. Like they give up a ton of yards, and, and so it depends break. on it depends on what you're. You're looking at the other thing is is when you score a lot of points, which they did in New England and they did some in Tampa, the opposing teams have to do things they don't want to do. Like some teams can't run the ball that are running teams because they have to play catch up. So there are certain things. I will the other thing going for him, I would say, and New England has done this and Cleveland did it with Belichick, is the fact that turnovers, like Belichick teams turn people over. And so yes, I could see like, okay, because they get turnovers, they get short fields, or they do whatever, blah, blah, blah. But at this point in time, if you're arguing that there is a better quarterback. You're helpless. You, you are. It's just, now, what's going to be your excuse when he wins, like, two Super Bowls in Tampa? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I'm I, quite sure they'll come up with something. Oh, I, you, you have to. But can I ask who they pull for? Is there any bias there? <laughs> well, it will not shock you. These are buddies from back in my home state of Minnesota. So we do not know how to accept failure We have or accept success. We have not ever had NFL success. So your only thing is to bring it back down with you. Okay, I guess so. I guess that's I what they're going with. with. Okay they with can't it. accept greatness because they do not know what greatness looks like. They're probably still mm-hmm. bitter mm-hmm. that Randy Moss was at his best when he went to the New England Patriots rather than when he was with Dante Culpepper. Randall so the mic. so did, have you ever posed this question to him and said, if – Tom Brady and Bill Belichick was with Minnesota and we won that many championships. 
would you argue with the nation that he wasn't the greatest? Great question. Uh, I never get past pure blind rage with these two individuals. Okay, so no, that's I'd fair. I do that with my friends, too. So. Third fail. Okay, let's really get into it here. The College Insider Mid-Major Top 25. Guess where the Bucks are? Not nowhere. Not listed, <laughs> I don't need to Jay guess. Sandos. <laughs> you got into a Twitter, actually it was a Twitter love fest, not so much a Twitter war or Twitter bashing. It was more of a love fest with some of your favorite Southern Conference individuals from around the league. Let me go ahead and give you some rankings of those that ETSU, um, I believe, has a good claim to being better than. How about Furman? Where do you think they are? Uh, seven. Number right. seven after they lost by nine to ETSU uh, just one week ago. That was included in this poll, by the way. This poll came out this week, and apparently Furman's still worthy of being number seven, even though they lost two in a row, and one of them was to ETSU, who are not ranked, not even receiving votes. Not only not ranked, not even receiving votes. How about Appalachian State? Number 25. They're 12-5. Okay, pretty respectable. How about four 91 wins and a win over South Carolina State, who we just spent not bashing but uh, being realistic about in women's basketball segment. Uh, It's the same on the men's basketball side, if not worse. South Carolina State has not won a game this year. The SoCon has two teams in the top 25, and let's just extrapolate App State out to the rest of their conference. The Sun Belt has five teams, five mediocre teams at the bottom of that poll. The SoCon has two, even though the Sun Belt is ranked number 15 in the conference RPI and the Southern Conference is number nine. Uh, Chattanooga is receiving votes. And so this is your time to say Chattanooga's the greatest ever, so you curse them while they're in quarantine and they come out and they lose a bunch of games. I think, I think it's great by the community to vote for them. But in all reality, how in the world at 3-5 and five in the league is Chattanooga anywhere near this poll? Bellarmine. Bellarmine. Their first year at Division One. Bellarmine is receiving votes. UMBC has right now four games on the rest of their schedule. They have four more games left on their schedule. This is not 2018. They, Jay I, Sandos is not in the crowd I'm watching trying, the 16-over-1 upset. I'm trying to see who's on the com, I'm trying to see who's on the voting committee here. Uh, by the way, Northeastern lost five of their first six games. They're receiving votes. Colgate is a toothpaste that has played just six games. All of these teams, all of these programs, including those right, so I need of to, the oral health variety, are receiving votes. Right, for the so I out. need to get with, I have a love fest with uh, Casey Alexander and Greg Gary. Is, is maybe you don't know about Casey. but How do you love but, either of these people if they're voting for this? Well, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm about to say. I'm about to, uh, now, you know, Casey's at Belmont, so that doesn't make any sense. He would vote for Bellarmine in the A-Sun or the Sun Belt. Right? Bellarmine! Greg Gary, I don't know. Maybe when we get to play him this week, he'll vote us higher. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is that one of those things? Like, I know they do that in the in the big boy coaches' polls, and they all try to claim they don't, and then they get outed because once you lie about who you vote for, they're allowed to release who you vote for, Ooh. But uh, which I do like. Uh, but I, just looking, I don't I mean, Richie McKay's voting at Liberty. I mean, yeah, these uh, – what helped was the last several years, you know, Steve Forbes was on there, and so we were able to sort of – not only do we do the segment, but all cards on the table, we kind of helped Coach Forbes – go through the list to make sure that we had one of the more honest ballots. Coaches shouldn't have to do that on their own because look what it gets you. And, and well, and let's be honest. They go in there and say, oh, I'll put this team in our league here, here, and here, and that team there, and then I don't care about the rest. And then, you know, an SID guy has to do it and all that. That's are how these, it usually works. Are these coaches still, like, living in two months ago when they saw the Bucks as the first game of the NCAA year lose 70-47 to 47 to Abilene Christian? Like, that's my only possible explanation. They saw ETSU, oh, Steve Forbes gone, while they're scoring gone. Uh, they lost by 23. And that's all they remember because that was probably the game so far 
that ETSU has had the most eyes on them because it was the first game of the NCAA year. They must be still living in that world because there is nothing else that could explain this. I'm assuming if ETSU wins two or three more games. I, I'm very, I mean, love to see so Two or three more. Colgate's there, played six the entire year. Furman is sitting there. Oh, I'm just saying, Colgate probably started the year off there. And you know how it is with polls. If you start the year off there, it's like if, if I mean, do you know how long it took Austin P last year in football to get barely ranked, and then they went on that run in the FCS play? Like it, and sure, I'm, they looked at it and said we lost ETSU, and that's probably a fair point. But in the same token, like it took them a non-traditional name to go. We're a traditional name, so I get, but we weren't up there early, and they were expecting all this other crap, and that's what everybody else heard. Oh, their coach left, ninety percent. So I think if ETSU wins three or four more, the climb up to the top would be very quick. Three or four. You want me to call Joe? I know Joe. You want me to call Joe Dwyer? See what's happening. I think you should call him and yell at him and tell him to never do this poll again. Because I'll call call Joe and Angela and we'll see what they say. Fourth fail. So where do you think Tennessee's fan base was this time? (laughs) Because they couldn't stop Josh Heupel from being hired from UCF. Danny White goes with his buddy and the University of Tennessee for no more than the next three years. We'll have. Danny White and Josh Heupel, AD and football big coach. Big fan. Nobody right. else says I'm a big fan. You're a big fan? Big fan. Big fan. What? Because it's going to lead to failure. No, I no, 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 no. Because, again, it, it's, it's, here is what, you know, Joe Blow fan base doesn't understand. And this is every school. I'm not, this is, this is certainly not um, pigeonholing Tennessee into this. But want to get a name. Got to get a name. Got to get a name. Got to get a name. Okay, well, you go interview these people with names. They don't want the job. So the one person that did want the job was James Franklin, who said, I need a lot more money. And why did James Franklin say I need more money? Because he doesn't know what the sanctions are. He's already at a school. So, yes, it was a money grab for James Franklin. But if you were in his shoes and it's like, you know what, you can come here for four years, I can't really tell you what the penalties are, and you could lose for four years, and the family's going to hate you, and they're going to fire you because they don't care about sanctions. They don't care about the 10 scholarships. They don't care about coaches. They don't care about less recruiting. They don't care about that. Right? They don't care about any of that. They just want you to win. Well, fine. Then you need to pay me if you want me to come because I'm going to get fired in four years if I you know, do halfway decent because people don't want halfway decent. They want you to do this. So James Franklin did what I think most human beings in their right mind would do. The days of, well, they'll just come to us because we are this is over for schools that won a championship 20 years ago. <laughs> See Michigan. See Nebraska, see Tennessee. You're a Michigan I can name fan, others. For those who don't know. I can name others. I just think that the days are done. You have to find somebody who's willing to make their own path. There was nobody doing jumping jacks when Dabo Sweeney was elevated to head coach from Bowden at Clemson. There, there was not. You can. Uh, I, I have fr- friends that are season ticket holders, long time since we were in school. They donors. They do. They. There was not one of them that gave me the boy. We're really excited about this hire. And it worked out. I mean, there are very few guys that get hired to go. You have to – I mean, I think we've seen what Chip Kelly, right? Oh, well, you didn't work in the NFL. Well, I mean, you worked at Oregon. You go to UCLA, you're going to win. No, it hadn't worked out. Rich Rod, let's go to Arizona. It didn't work out in Michigan. Michigan's weird, so you got to get whatever. Hey, it didn't work out Rich Rod. I mean, none of these things are – I mean, the, the right fit, the right thing, all those things kind of have to be in place. The other thing is when your national championships are rolling through basically – Two and a half schools. They're rolling through Alabama. They're rolling through Clemson. And I'll give the other half to Ohio State, right? Then Oklahoma, okay, give them the next one. After that, 
What what else you got? So if you're not one of the – and this is my argument again against the, the stupid playoffs. Because of that, then those three or four teams are going to eat healthy and everyone else is going to be behind. Until you, I mean, Georgia made a little bit of a run, but where are they now? It is amazing that the college football four-team playoff has made it such that no other teams can compete with about three teams. You always find a way to bring every college football conversation back to the four-team playoff. But back to Tennessee, they went down the line and asked. It wasn't like they didn't have, Some people didn't pick up the phone, and some people were like, well, good. And then the, I had some crazies tell me, well, I can't believe they didn't call Bob Stoops. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I want to do a show with everybody who had somebody on the list and be like, why? G- give me why. And I don't want to hear, well, we've got better this than whatever. It, have you been to some of these places? Because I have. When we go on the road in basketball or football or even when I was doing baseball, I'd go visit all these places and go to their, you know, I've been to Oklahoma State. I've been to their facilities. I can, I've been to Oregon. My goodness, there's not a better one in the country. I've been to all these Please, I've been to stadiums. I've been to the I, – I don't think you get it that whatever you have in Knoxville, you have pretty much everywhere else now. So you have to make your own brand. You have to win again. The 20-year-ago National Championship 98 is not is not there. You have not had a 10-win season since 2007. Vanderbilt has had more nine-win nine win seasons, right, back-to-back with James Franklin, than you have had since 2007, and Eric Ainge was the quarterback and lost to the LSU in the SEC title game. And it went downhill. So I think expectations are there. But I, I don't understand. So Heupel's going to come in. They already hit him. And I get it looks lazy. I, I get that. If you want to go with, we just bought, brought his best friend. I get the job at Tennessee. Bob Kessing retires, and uh, no weather called me. They call me, and I'm in there. And I'm like, you know what? Heck with the sideline guy and uh, Mickey Deerstone and all these, you know, and uh, Wilkerson doing the – Baseball, I'm hiring Mike Gallagher. Yeah. Let's go. There we go. So it's a, hey, it's a I love to hire all of a sudden. I get the fact that nobody in America knows that Mike's good. Uh, <laughs> but reason I get that it looks lazy, right? It, lo- it looks like, well, you know this. But at some point in time, if you're Dan White, and people are turning you down, and every day they're turning you down, it is getting worse. You have to make a hire. The one thing Tennessee's not been able to do in like a decade is score. The one thing at least you can say about Heupel, no matter where he's been, is he scored. When he was at Missouri, they put a 50-burger on Tennessee when he was the offense coordinator. I mean, when has Missouri scored 50 again? That one year they led, I think it was they were second in the SEC in total offense that year. And so he can he can coach that. So if nothing else, even if he wins four games, let me ask you this, Tennessee fan. Or would you be excited losing 24-17? to 17, Or would you be excited losing 45-42? Or 48-42? Because it always looks better if you could score. And then you could complain, well, I don't stop anybody. But you know what? You've, you've played in the 24-13 to 13 game or 20-13 to 13 at Kentucky enough, right? How about you score 40 and just see if somebody else can beat you that way? So I'm fine with a higher. I think you had to get somebody – that had enough clout. I think you have somebody that was op- truly offensive-minded. And if there was people knocking down your door, you said no to get him, I would be with you. If you were like, all right, we're going to give the same money to Heupel that we're going to give to James Franklin, uh, okay. If you were going to pony up more for James Franklin, fine. I'm fine with James Franklin. I'm fine with anybody that they would have ponied up more. But the sanctions hanging over, and do you, James Franklin right now has the third fourth, third, what would you say, in the Big Ten? Ohio State, probably go Wisconsin, and then 
I mean, Penn State, Michigan, or Michigan, Penn State. I mean, you could argue Penn State, Michigan. For okay, me. so three. I, I, I have no. I can't argue that. So he's three. You're going to go to Tennessee, where right now you're like eleventh, and you have sanctions. How about Iowa? France isn't going anywhere, though. No, Fran, Fran, he's the longest. Right. He's one of the highest paid coaches because he's never left. He just keeps getting raises. He'll be there forever. So Fitzgerald will be at Northwestern forever. That's a really tough place to win, though. I, I'm just saying, but in the Big Penn Ten, State, I mean, J- James Franklin has turned Penn State into what they are. I mean, it's 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 three or four. I, I mean, I would argue this: I, if you would have gotten Bill O'Brien, and that may not be anybody excited about that, he went to Penn State when all this happened, which is much more egregious and much more crippling to all the images thing. And he dealt with all that. Yep. And he had to deal with it with people hating his guts because he wasn't Joe Paterno. Even though it wasn't his fault Joe Paterno was gone. Why in the world is his contract so ironclad as the offense coordinator at Alabama you couldn't bring him in? Why wouldn't you bring him in and say, you know what, you have done this before. You were able to turn the corner, and then as they got out of sanctions. In a lot worse anyone, situation, by the way. You would absolutely be ready. He scored points at Penn State. He, You know, you could argue, well, he didn't have a very good year at Houston in the NFL, but to me, that's a separate subject. I think I would have, if you, and I don't think they reached out to him. I'm curious why they would not have even looked at that route. Just because I think that would have been an easy sell to everybody. Look, this guy went, I mean, if you're not going to hire George Shiano because he was, uh, might have sort of kind of been around the room, even though the FBI has cleared him of any wrongdoing, and he's still lambasted, even though, because you know, uh, Clay Travis apparently thought he still did it, even though the FBI has cleared him. And I would like to say if the FBI says they did research, in case you haven't seen what the FBI is doing with everybody at State Capitol, I feel like they're pretty thorough. I'm just throwing it out there. So I feel like Chano got a, a, a rough deal. I guarantee you he probably would have ran a cleaner program. Fan base ran him right out of town before he even had the job. Would and, and, and it wasn't even football. They ran it out because of what they thought, and I get it. But in the same token, why wouldn't you – if that was your thought process, then why wouldn't you bring in the guy who could get you through that, who could be – who's proven to be a leader amongst boys to turn to men to figure out how we get through this together? And, again, I, I think you could do to that. deal with a much worse situation. Absolutely. I don't even know what the sanctions are going to be at Tennessee, but I can tell you whatever they are, they're not going to be nearly what he went through after that horrific so mess. So, I, 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 I feel fan base. I feel like they, they want to go I, – I think – for me, if Heupel can score points the first year, I think people just be ecstatic because they see points. And it's like, oh, we're right there. We need to stop here or there. And eventually, you know, defensively, I'm sure he'll get yelled at or something other. But I, I I was fine with her because at some point, as I was looking at the list, and don't take my word for it, I've, I've listened to all the VolQuest people that you have to pay subscription to to read all their writings and all their coverings and all the things that they got. And they're talking about all the people that they interviewed and all the people that didn't want to interview it. And then it came down to money. It came down to this. But it eventually you had to make a hire because the people you were going after were telling you no, which is the problem with Tennessee. People they are going after have always told them no. They have told a few people, not in this search, but in other searches, it is a blank checkbook. What do you want? And they've been told no. So you can appease the fan base all you want to, but this isn't a world where you're the 11th best team in the SEC in a year with sanctions coming down and you think people are clamoring to go sit there for three or four years. And the other thing, because Tennessee people have ran off people, don't tell me that isn't somebody sitting there and going, you know, I could sit here at Penn State and I could probably lose for three years and I'll probably still have a job. I go to Tennessee and lose for three years with sanctions. Those people are trying to hang me and throw me in the river. So I think Josh Heupel was a fine hire. I don't know what everybody was talking about. I am the smartest man alive!
That was well done. Nice. So when Josh Heupel is 12 and 20 and 9 and 17 in And I'm SEC, calling for his head, you're going to yell at me. <laughs> I mean, Scott Frost, the previous coach there that went to a Power 5 as 12 and 20 and 9 and 17 through three years, he still has a job because they love him in Nebraska, but I'm not sure Josh Heupel is going to get the same courtesy. Well, and, and, you know, and Frost didn't have any sanctions. So that's right. it, it's good, which I, to further your point, it's going to be more ridiculous when you run them off in three years because Heupel is going to be like, I don't even have full scholarships yet. First touchdown super. If I ever need to kill ten minutes on the show, football playoffs. Football playoffs. Football playoffs. Next year, book it. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. 22 days. Still in 2020. 20 plus two days. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution. 30 pounds. That was not my resolution. What you just said is one that of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. It's different. You and your revisionist history. I can't even say revisionist history. Honey mustard. ETSU men's basketball going to break 100 for the first time this year. Big, big day against the Citadel. The Bulldogs visiting Saturday, 3.30 pregame, 4 o'clock tab, Buccaneer Sports Network. Had 92 against VMI, 86 against Western Carolina. Jamari Monsanto, red hot. Ty Brewer going to have 20-plus. Ladarius Brewer is always good for 20-plus. Triple digits for Jason Shea's squad. Wow. 20-point-plus victory mm. for ETSU. Okay. Do we know what the line is on the game yet? I do not. Okay. I, think, I think Southern Conference lines are pretty much day of when somebody wakes up and like, yeah, i got to put the line in. By the way, uh, you have three right. I have three right. Um, we know that it was false positives now for Furman. We were speculating about that on Tuesday. They were able to reschedule for Saturday Western, right? against Western Carolina. Yeah. They will lose. Western Carolina Woo! picks up their Woo! first victory of the Coming Southern Conference hot. season at 1 o'clock on Saturday. The Catamounts, just too damn talented to keep. That zero in the win column is up, by the way. My favorite SoCon team, besides the ETSU the Bucks, the Key Dads, Maybe including the ETSU will go into the Coliseum of UNCG and get a dub. Really? Straight up dub. Straight up dub. I'm going to go. Uh, Club dub. I had a Super Bowl prediction. I didn't realize that it was not until next weekend. So I'm going to have to fill one here, and I'll go head to head with you. UNCG will win by 15 or more. Woo! Okay. Yeah. All right, there we go. Yeah. Put it on the board. What do you got? I don't know. Cause I'm just going too fast for you, right? I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, clock's to, uh, I know. Clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. Who's uh? Who's uh? I don't know what else. Jay Sandos will put away six Jersey Mike subs between now and the next show. Jay Sandos will guzzle three gallons of honey mustard between now and next show. Jay Sandos will do zero crunches between now. Ooh, I'm 50 crunches away from 1,000 already. I'm going to do those Ooh, tonight. that's good. Not even a month in. All right. Yeah, yeah. Who, who plays in women's basketball? <laughs> <laughs> i got to find something. Give Just it to me. something randomly. Give it to me. Disqualified from bold predictions if you don't make one within the next 27 seconds. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, it will be – ooh, ooh. Furman will take one of two from Sanford. <laughs> Furman will take one of two from Sanford. One of two is bold? One of two. Uh, I don't know. They're the – Tied for the last in the league. Yeah, one and four. They are injured. Okay, fine. All right. You got lucky. You're almost disqualified forever. 
We'll be back Monday. Bye, Network.